Welcome to Lifting Leaders Podcast, where we are unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Crystal Roberts, and together with Trisha Ryan, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them. Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we're exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Hey, Crystal, how are you? I'm fantastic, Trisha. I love the weather that's going on here. We are finally having spring. Oh my goodness. In fact, it almost feels like summer right now. I think it's more like summer. Yeah. 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 So you've had a good week though, right? I've had a good week. It's been really busy, which has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I feel like uh, business is definitely at a peak and I'm not at overwhelm yet. So it's, it's a good place to be. I want to remind our listeners that we are currently in the middle of a several week focus on the critical challenges in the healthcare industry and conversation about where there is possibility and hope right now and into the future from different perspectives within the industry. We chose to have this focus because having access to good healthcare is fundamental to making a better world. We often take it for granted that the system will just work and be there for us when we need it. We know there were issues before the pandemic in this important system, and it is still reeling from the pandemic's impacts. We are hoping to bring attention to this critical field to both the challenges and the possibilities in an effort to spark energy and hope to move leaders into action in whatever way they can to support this critical system. If you are a healthcare executive, maybe it is seeing an issue in a new way and providing coaching or development for your team. Or maybe you're a consumer and you give an extra amount of gratitude to your provider the next time you visit your doctor. Maybe you start a conversation in your neighborhood or community to do what you can to support this critical system. Whatever is right for you, please do that. We can all make a difference. And most importantly, we wanted to take this opportunity to highlight and thank a few of these people who have worked so hard and continue to work on behalf of all of us to make a better world. Listen, I am super delighted that we are spending time with our guests today. We're all actually, we've met at a retreat earlier this year, which yeah. is like amazing, right? Thanks and to it was, Susan Mann. Yes, thanks to <laughs> Susan Mann, a former guest of ours yeah. and someone we look up to. We just really adore her. And I'll tell you, I, I, remember sitting in the car when we had a little bit of free time and we immediately started talking about how we had to have Pam on <laughs> our inner to interview on our podcast. Absolutely. So I want to welcome you, Pam. Uh, can, do you want Pamela or Pam? Pam is fine. And thank you. It's such a treat to be here. We're so happy to have you join us today. Um, but before we dive into our interview, let me tell our listeners a little bit about you. Pam Hansberger is a medical doctor and physician leadership development professional in California. With over 20 years of experience in family and women's health, Pam is truly leaned in to the concept of excellence in medicine. Her commitment to raising leadership capabilities of physicians has 
focused not only on traditional human or soft skills, which are not often emphasized in medical school, but also critical skill building in areas such as how to support victims of aggression and abuse and supporting inclusive partnerships. Her depth of experience has consistently led her to director roles on several influential boards and numerous awards, including a staggering seven years of recognition as Orange County Magazine Physician of Excellence and Orange County Medical Association's Family Physician of the Year. Wow. Congratulations. That's really amazing. And if you could see her, the listeners, big smile on her face. She's beaming. (laughs) Pam is passionate about supporting students, residents, and physicians in their practices, focusing on preventing burnout in a very noble profession. When not striving for excellence in medicine... Pam enjoys being the mother of three emerging adults. I love that you have that. Mm -hmm. One English bulldog, one French bulldog, and one husband who is a practicing political consultant. Wow. Welcome to our podcast, (laughs) Pam. We're so happy to have you. Interesting dinner conversations, I guess you have, right? Yes. Wow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. My my heart's a little warm right now. Thank you for that nice introduction. That was really, really nice. It's funny to look back and listen about things that we've done because we don't always do that. So thank you so much. It's so good to like bask in that a little bit, right? Yes. And you deserve it. Oh, my goodness. You know, there are so many things that didn't quite make it to the bio. And I think that, you know, if people were to be able to, to see you on paper, they would have um, this probably have this different vision of a person who has like really strived to make a difference in the world and then to see you sitting in front of them it would be and she's really a wonderfully warm human it's just it's it's gonna be fun today so well and actually I wanted to just add that that yeah. little bit of human element there I just wanted to share that I experienced Pam uh, as extremely um, funny. Oh, yes. <laughs> she Pressure's has an amazing sense of humor. Also really fierce. Mm-hmm. So just really committed to what you believe in and super compassionate. And what, a you know, that's a triple decker, right? I, I love that. So thank you for saying yes to being on the podcast. Thank you for saying yes to being a part of our focus on the healthcare industry this month. We really appreciate it and so glad that you're here. Well, it was a very intentional yes, because you'll hear as you hear about my story and boundary setting, I don't say yes to everything anymore. And just really, really grateful um, to be with you both and, and, and be on, on your podcast, because it's, it's really doing great things. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. So I'm going to start with our first question. It is the question we ask everyone when we do a podcast with a guest. And that is Pam, tell us your story. All right. Well, thank you first for asking. Um, as I was thinking about this a little bit, I, I'm going to start at different phases of my life. But the first is I was actually born in Salem, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I use that to my advantage in many spaces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going back to some of my uh, courageous conversations, some people make things up about where I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually knew I wanted to be a physician, no joke, when I was age five. Mm-hmm. If you ask anyone I grew up with, They will tell you that I was always going to be a doctor, Mm. um, but I was going to be a psychiatrist, which I think it's kind of interesting how I've ended up where I am um, because it 
speaks a little bit to my interest in kind of behavioral health and, and, and how, why we do what we do. Um, my mom was a nurse practitioner, one of the first nurse practitioners. So she definitely influenced my uh, professional goals tremendously. Uh, and my dad was obviously um, a part of, you know, being married to a professional woman at the time when it wasn't quite as common um, and also a very big part of kind of my caregiving when I was growing up. Uh, so, I look back now and knowing that I wanted to do this since I was age five, uh, that didn't leave a lot of things to consider other opportunities, which I'm not sure if I would give the same guidance to my younger self to be that focused on something so early, um, but it's worked out very well in many ways. Um, I did go to school back east, so I'll give a shout out to Middlebury College, my uh, <laughs> alma mater. Um, and joke around that it was my father's alma mater and my oh. grandfather's oh, alma mater. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But then took a little bit of time between um, undergrad and med school. I share that because I think people often make up what our paths are and whether mm -hmm. they were easy or hard or, um, you know, really what kind of is behind the story. So it was not as easy for me to get into medical school. Um, and I uh, now where we are, I kind of see why is that it I, I went into med school at a time where we were looking kind of more for empathic um, uh, humans and, and mm -hmm. applicants, for no better term, more diverse mm -hmm. applicants, things like that. Um, maybe not all the greatest test takers at times. Um, mm -hmm. So everyone has kind of their own story of how they get to be where they are. But going back to med school after about three to four years between undergrad, it was lovely to be a student again. So oh. treasured every moment of it, vacations, even though it was really, really hard training, we still had that student life of, of time off, things like that. Um, I also, for whatever reason, decided I wasn't going to wait. And I had three children in my training. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> I look back and I was like, wow, that was that worked out OK, but that was hard. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, my first a... child, uh, my oldest son was born when I was a fourth year in med school. Mm. I only missed one test. That was it. Pretty proud of that. Wow. Um, and then I had my other two when I was in my training in family medicine. Um, in terms of leadership, and I watch this a little bit with my daughter now. I'm I'm someone who's not really great about criticizing things without trying to find solutions. And mm -hmm. so even, you know, in really in all my my school spaces in general, but even in med school, I was um, part of leading and, and being involved and, um, you know, pulling people together. And so it was natural for me to want to get involved in um, academics and faculty and things and had that opportunity in our organization. So I kind of started there. Um, I do love um, teaching and mentoring and things like that. Uh, but was able to kind of move uh, fairly quickly at what would be considered a younger age now, particularly in medicine and women in leadership, into a more senior role as an assistant area medical director. Mm -hmm. And that is really what started my journey of looking at kind of culture, the culture of medicine. Mm -hmm. I got to spend a lot of time with new physicians joining the group, hearing stories and, and kind of watching this transition to where we are now in healthcare. And through that um, lens, I still will give my mom a huge amount of credit because she was a very, very strong feminist. I was raised by a very mm. strong um, 
outspoken uh, woman. And I think that that did uh, lead to me looking at things and going, mm, there's, there's some there's some patterns and things are changing here. And what do we need to do about it? And I happened to be in a place where I was able to make some changes and, and have that influence. Um, my favorite story that speaks to kind of who I am and, and how I'm wired and what I do, what I do is I'm very curious. Things have to make sense. So I have to ask a lot of questions and get to kind of the root of things. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it, 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 a drives me crazy because some, something doesn't make sense. I'm going to have to figure it out, but it also has served me well to kind of have a better understanding about other people's experiences and both when I was seeing patients and patient care, but also with my colleagues and in my leadership, my, um, Real quick story was driving. We used to have to have a fairly long drive from where my parents grew up and where we lived, and it was about eight hours. And my dad would always try to time it where we would get in the car where everyone would fall asleep. Um, oh. That would be everyone but me. <laughs> and I'd be in the back and I'd start asking really, you know, curious questions. Dad, where do babies come from? And, and he's just mortified because he's like, can't we just sleep? I don't want to be answering Captive questions. audience, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and my mom was half asleep with her eye open going, how's yeah. he going to handle this, right? Um, but sure enough, the next day we'd go to the library and, and, and try to figure out how to get some answers to those mm. questions. So I say that because I do think a, one of the biggest strengths in, in, in life in general, but certainly in leadership is having that curiosity and being able to, to ask more questions, um, to really understand what, you know, where we are and, and, and what's going on. And it served me well to understand some of the bad things that have changed in medicine, but also some of the progress and things where we are in healthcare. So I spend a lot of my time now um, doing uh, leadership development, mostly for physicians, but also for administrators, things like that. Do a lot of work in burnout recovery, mm. um, women in medicine, uh, and and some of it was from part of my journey included probably burning out before the pandemic when I was dealing mm. with uh, raising kids, my mom's health issues, things yeah. like that. And mm-hmm. again, had to get really curious. Why am I tired? What What's going on? Um, but it was uh, probably a sign I had to figure some things out earlier so that I could help others on that journey. So that's kind mm. of where I am now. Um, always a work in progress. We're still coming out of some really hard, hard times in healthcare, but um, there's a lot more kind of clarity around what we're what we're doing, where we are. And um, my emerging adults come and go now, so I have a little mm-hmm. more flexibility. Um, I went through the grief par- process when my last one went off to college, our last one, I should say, uh, and now kind of enjoying being able to have some time and space to get more creative and, and do more of this mm-hmm. work. So. I love that you you mentioned that you know you you looked within basically you you questioned yourself and where you were and and so many people neglect that step you know mm-hmm. or they may not even know the step is there for them and yeah. so I I love that you're sharing that because that's an example for people and I think you're you're leading and being curious and trying to dig to you know root cause on things is another great um, example that people can can learn from. So that you're taking that to your leadership development is amazing. You know, it, it's wonderful that people have a point of reference instead of just a book, right? Yeah, yeah, That's completely. Yeah. And I've heard on one of your podcasts about, you know, really, we have to make sure that we're living and working within our values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the biggest aha for me. Again, go back to when I realized my 
path with, you know, my, my family wasn't going to go the same way as it did with my personal family. My mother was sick at a younger age and I had to make changes because it wasn't going to go any other direction. And one of my biggest values is, you know, family and compassion and, and, and equity. And so I had to, to change things first for me. Mm. And we see that a lot when I'm coaching physicians or healthcare professionals is we're a lot of overgivers. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it serves many well, our communities, our patients. I love healthcare, but um, at some point it can actually be detrimental all yes. around. So that's, that's a little bit more what we can talk about as we go into healthcare and burnout and things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to say, I appreciated your shout out to your father too, Mm -hmm. and the example that he gave with listening to the questions. Um, And then not only listening, and when we know that when we give somebody our presence, that that's like the biggest gift that we can give. So instead of shutting that down and saying, just go to sleep, listening to Mm -hmm. that, what a great model for other parents. And then also, that you went to the library (laughs) to find the answers, which I think from a leadership perspective, like that's just such a perfect example Mm -hmm. of, I'm not just going to tell you what the answer is. Let's go to the library. Let's partner on this and let's figure it out together is like so powerful. And that's the best way to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And not only did you learn you, you had the self-efficacy to actually do it, right? right? Like he's like saying, hey, you're smart enough to read these books and figure it out. And I'm here also for you to support you, but I don't have to be the expert and tell you everything. And I have to tell you, I've had a lot of experiences lately where people are kind of saying, oh, I'm an expert. I'm going to tell you what to do. And that's just not the answer. And people don't really learn, right? And right. with your background in leadership development, um, it's just so helpful to have that framework to say, Hey, yes. we've got resources for you, but you got to figure it out for yourself. Well, and that's it. You know, it's, we're all in leadership development. We've been yeah. doing it for years and that's exactly what we want is for people to learn to fish, right? We want them to, to be able to do without us in a sense, you know, I think yep. it, I've always thought if I did my best work, people wouldn't need me anymore because they'd know how to, yeah. to, to, to get their answers, they'd know how. And so I, I too love that that story about your dad, but I really love the part where you went and found your answers because that that's probably says a lot about where you sit when you're doing leadership development as well. Am I correct about that? You, you are, and it's funny as you reflect it back, it's been a big, I, I was not always like this. I was very much like a fixer or let me mm-hmm. tell you how you should do it. Yeah. And it's all very related, but over time, because some of my work initially started in really clinician patient communication mm-hmm. and coaching, you know, how to connect a little bit more efficiently and how to um, really bring that empathy out into a, a, a busy practice of medicine. Um, and the irony though, is I am a huge, uh, now I listen to a lot of books, but, and I give away a lot of books. Mm-hmm. It's a very big part of, um, you know, sharing kind of what I'm learning. I want everyone else to learn it too mm-hmm. early on. And this is actually how I met our colleague, Susan Mann. So I'll give her a shout out too. I mm-hmm. think she knows how important, <laughs> uh, was really doing, bringing some of, um, Dr. Brene Brown's work into healthcare and getting certified, 
uh, early on with one of my colleagues, which was life changing and professionally changing as well. Mm -hmm. So the the part for me that's hard, it is hard for me to sit back and because I, I see I see a lot of potential in people they may not see in themselves. So yeah. I've had to work really hard um, and and have a little bit of delayed gratification when they thank me a couple years later for the book mm-hmm. I gave them or or something like that, because I do think that's the only way it feels more real and, and authentic is if they go on the journey, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. on their own. The yeah. only caveat where I become a very big big sister or bear mama is when, you know, someone's pretty significantly into burnout, then I have mm-hmm. to be a little bit more directive. But sure. yeah. Uh, in yeah. general, I try to walk the journey with them. Oh, yeah. And recognizing that too is just yeah. so important, right? Yeah. You know, thank you for sharing your story with us. And it's clearly, it's, it's a wide and deep. So when you think about the significant changes in the healthcare industry, where do you see those show up the most? And how have these changes impacted you? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, I do feel slightly old because I remember when I was first, you know, starting kind of my practice, and um, we were just moving into more of a computer-based electronic records. And I remember some of my mid-career physicians were really having a hard time with that switch. And some of them, you know, early retired, things like that. And I was like, wow, they, you know, they must not deal with change well. (laughs) And now I'm in this space where it's a lot of change really fast. Um, Some of it is really good, um, but some of some of it has kind of impacted what I consider one of the most sacred things is really the 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 physician patient relationship. So we are much more, you know, technology um, based and virtual based and um, some of that to me is disconnecting from that relationship, um, making it more transactional and Mm -hmm. there's value there. But as a family physician, and I do a lot of women's health now, I also think all of the the data and the information that anyone can get can be really confusing and it increases the anxiety. And a lot of it is being able to sit down and really talk through things mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the fact that you can look anything up and that the words that are used are things that we had to train to decipher. It just, I think it does add to kind of the anxiety and worry. And I see that a lot with my patients and one of the greatest opportunities is to be able to sit with them and walk through what it means and when what you should be worried about and what I wouldn't worry about if I were in your shoes. So there's, there's a, there's advantages to a lot of this access. And I know why we're here because Historically, medicine and healthcare was w- much more kind of paternal and and didn't feel safe to ask questions and all of that. But um, I just don't want us to lose track of the value of the the physician patient relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm clearly biased, but um, I do think that's one of the bigger risks. I also think what's happened in the pandemic really just brought it to light because burnout was very prevalent before, and there's mm-hmm. patterns around it. Is that the blend of work and life? Um, we now see kind of healthcare workers are humans too. Yeah. Many of us, particularly physicians, were trained not to ask for help and, you know, depending on the specialty to not have that vulnerability. And we've really seen that that's not um, going to mm. be sustainable. Um, so th- knowledge is power. So we know more what we're dealing with. I think now how we kind of rebuild after the 
um, the acute part of the pandemic is going to be the testament to where we go with healthcare, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to have to be putting resources into, um, you know, just support around well-being in general. Um, but the first part is recovering from the burnout uh, initially. I think it kind of like goes into the next question that I wanted to ask about that because I know that, you know, the the, the downside, and I mean there were like there were upsides to the pandemic, we, we have to admit, right? But one of the biggest hits was in healthcare where frontline workers were could not leave. They could not not come to work. They could not work from home. They had to be on the front line because people were sick and dying and they were separated from their families. And so in many cases, nurses and doctors became family members, if you will, while people were in their last days or their last hours. And that I know that there's, there has to be so much PTSD that came with that. Right. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what, what do you think the biggest threat now is to um, healthcare workers moving forward? And what steps are you taking or the organization you're with taking to address that? Yeah, and and you you really pegged it because we're you know I, earlier on I also went into the space of doing a lot more research around kind of trauma informed mm-hmm. care and what that can mean. Um, I I'm 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 hopeful at least for our group is that we are talking about it sooner rather than finding out 20 years from now about you know what some of the impact on on the healthcare teams have been mm-hmm. um, the risk now is as we're kind of moving out of that space is everyone wants things to go back to kind of being, you know, routine and normal. And um, personally and professionally, I am probably the one that has to keep pointing out what's not going to happen until we actually kind of dive in and then pull ourselves out together. So we do a lot more work with peer-to-peer support. There's a lot of data around what that looks like. I do find it most effective if we are, you know, and I I say this for nurses as well, they respond better often to nurses who have had experiences. And so I think the peer-to-peer support work is going to be a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, my, we have seen people leaving their their professions, both mm-hmm. nurses, physicians, all that. And that breaks my heart some. Um, it especially uh, is challenging if we see it more with women because it takes away some of their financial independence. So those are kind of the the linkages and, and the setbacks I see. The um, approach I'm taking now is looking at it like, you know, diabetes, heart disease, things like that. The burnout, as we define it, is emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a decreased feeling of efficacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're seeing emotional exhaustion play out the as the prominent, and, and there are some gender differences. That shows up first with women, um, and a lot of it depends also what their competing priorities are at home. I mean, we're all having the same Um, challenges as everyone else with our mental health challenges with our kids, all of those things, we're not immune to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really focusing, how do we get some reserve back in the emotional space for our colleagues that um, their tactic is to depersonalize first. The interesting part of that, it's where I don't see you as, as, as a person, I just see you as someone with diabetes and, you know, there's a barrier there is you can still function like that. You just mm-hmm. won't have um, 
the same kind of connections and satisfaction. And in the world of consumerism, you won't have the same survey scores and things that has mm. impacted healthcare yeah. just like any other industry. So approaching burnout, you really have to look at what's showing up first mm -hmm. and their different tactics. Because if someone's emotionally exhausted and I tell them to go see five more patients, hear their stories, connect better, that's actually what's exhausting them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And they need to take some time I'm a huge extrovert. You probably both know that. No. I had to recognize <laughs> I have to go in and spend some time alone. And I'm getting much more comfortable with that. Um, and I'm only a couple of steps ahead of any other person behind me. It's all a work in progress. But um, that to me is um, what's very frustrating for anyone in administration and leadership is they know burnout is here, but they don't understand how to separate things out and what tools to use. Because some of my physicians, I'll coach them around, you know, tell me about a really good patient connection today. Tell me what you learned mm -hmm. about them because they need to go in a little bit because that is what will bring them joy. And mm -hmm. some specialties, the surgeons, they like to do surgery. And during the pandemic, they weren't doing surgery. Right. Getting back into the OR for them recharges them. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of knowing what, you know, what brings you some energy back, have a little reserve. Um, and in terms of leaders, getting them to have that same curiosity and understanding about asking what's going on outside of work. Um, because I, there's there's a lot of um, combined contributors. Um, you know, I, I go back to my younger self. I was raising three kids. My mom was very sick. I was driving, you know, two hours to see her back and forth. And and uh, anyone can look at that and say, we may need to do something different to support around this. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, now things are a little calmer, I have a little more reserve and things. So it just, I think we have to be much more aware of life events, good and bad, yeah. and how to support around it um, for a really long, sustainable career. So that's a lot of the work I do, both working with leaders on seeing that, um, and then also individuals on what they can do for themselves and what is almost a professional imperative. I've kind of taken that angle is you just like you need to keep up with your CMEs. I want you to figure out what you need for you because that's part of our, our professionalism as well. You know, it's what you said was such a good call out, you know, around it, it doesn't really matter whether it was the pandemic or not, you know, in healthcare that there's always something that is affecting a person's ability to be centered while they're doing their work. And, and I remember I worked in a hospital for years and, and it was one of my central parts of my job was to connect with people at all levels and just let them download basically sometimes or just or just to look at different ways to um, get them to get away from that anxiety they were having for just the fact that life is going on in their world and they still come into work and that life is is also stressful it's like you can't you can only take so much stress before it starts to kick back and and i think that has been something at least my experience has been that's something in healthcare all the time that's a 24/7 365 kind of thing and so you you add that or or basically you know multiply that times 100 and that was the pandemic so it makes sense that it's going to be going on for a long time and it's going to take time to to get people to understand that or make that connection. So pretty interesting. Absolutely. Scary. Yeah. 
And sometimes I'll ask yeah. questions around emotional energy or physical energy because we're all mm-hmm. getting our little physical energy back because of, you know, getting more into our routines. But yeah. I, I do think our, the emotional energy is the piece. And some of it for some of our colleagues and and the healthcare workers, they the, the trauma they experience, it's going to take more time and more support. Um, for others, it, it, it will look different in, in, in trying to figure that out. Mm. Yeah. And being compassionate around that. Lots of grace. Mm-hmm. Lots of yes. grace. The other piece um, that I've gone deeper into, like what compassion fatigue looks like, how much story can you take in every mm-hmm. day? And then really the antidote is that self-compassion work. Uh, and and it's so counterintuitive to how we were trained as particularly physicians. I mean, and I'm, I'm in a, a specialty that was was pretty nice like family medicine we, we got to be mm-hmm. we're nice people right mm-hmm. um in general but it was still really hard and then the training's hard and some of the specialties much more significant so i'm hopeful for the future because they're, they're doing more of this in 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 education and in med schools and things like that but we're doing a lot of catch-up of you know we because also we want to make it better for those that follow us that's mm-hmm. how i look at it yeah Absolutely. I still hear people talking about, you need to toughen up. You just need to buck up. You need to leave it at the door. What people need to understand, just as you were saying, is we are better at our jobs if we don't, Mm -hmm. which is, seems counterintuitive. It's not what we were, even us in business, that's not what we were trained early on. Mm -hmm. It was leave it at the door. Yes. And that has changed because we know better now. It's not just that we're soft. We know better. We know that people are more effective if we do that. They're hot, more productive. Well, They're more innovative. It's a better outcome, mm-hmm. not just that we're being soft. You're a whole person. You know, when you leave all of that stuff behind, you're not bringing a whole person to work. You're bringing what they say they want. And it rarely lands the way it should because people are whole and they have to be able to bring themselves because that impacts the way they address things, the way they approach people, the way they interact, the way everything, even the way they respond to um, change, right? Yeah. So it's it's, um, so important. I, I... I have conversations about this these days daily because yeah. there are people who say, I, I just can't leave my problems at home. I'm having so many of them. But, you know, if I don't say it to somebody, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's like, say it, bring it on, right? Yeah. Let me know. Yeah. yeah. And one of the strongest leadership skills really is to assume people have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't, you yes. can be pres- pleasantly surprised, right? <laughs> yes. And But I kind of assume that everyone has a lot going on and how do we approach, you know, figuring out what we can help mm-hmm. support with and still hold the accountability that's needed. But um, that that's one of my tactics. It's always like assuming they're more upset than they may be because mm-hmm. you won't go wrong. They, they'd rather have you assume things are more things are going on than everyone's calmer when they're not like, but I think the assumption is we tend to minimize things or, or not yes. really want to take them into. Yeah. And part of it is we don't know how to help all the time. I, I see that a lot in, in leadership development mm-hmm. is they want to fix something. Right. And there's really no fix for some of this. It's just supporting through it. Yeah. Being that person that they can 
share that with not not that they have to be their therapist well that's the fix often isn't it i mean it's just being Uh, being a sounding board and letting people go on and on we we heard a previous um interview interviewee (laughs) guest uh say something about suicide you know and how people who are you know considering or on the brink of suicide don't want people to come up to them and say, you've got so much to live for, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want somebody coming in yeah. and fixing them. They need somebody to listen to what's going on with them. And so it's the same thing in that sense. You know, Everybody is to a point, hopefully not to a point of suicide, but certainly to a point where they, or at, they're at a point where they, they need to talk to somebody. And that's what we humans do, don't we? We communicate with one another. And yeah. and that's compassion. That's empathy. That's all sorts of things. That's leadership, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and we talk a lot about that because, you know, physicians actually have a fairly high rate of death by suicide, and female yeah. physicians have a higher rate. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work around. I think that's why the peer-to-peer work is really um, you know, a, a, a good direction to go in all of these spaces. It has, they have to be kind of well-trained, yeah. but, um, you know, we, we do tend to relate more to people who have, who are at least in a similar space. It's less isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I'm so passionate about this because again, high risks of death by suicide, yeah. high risks of divorce, high rates of divorce. And, um, you know, this isn't a profession we went into, with that, you know, many of us are right. thrilled to be able to have our families and our outside world and support the community and things like that. But um, some of it requires some mindful, um, mindful planning, some boundary setting, all the things that we're really not trained to do. We're, we're good at delayed gratification. If I just get through the next three <laughs> years of my training, right, the next yeah. this, and then we get out into practice and we're like, I don't know if this is sustainable for 20 years or 25 years or yeah. however long we stay. So mm, yeah, to be a little bit more mindful through the, through the stages of, of, of our careers, I think. Yeah. So you mentioned equity and inclusion, and we do have a question that we wanted to ask you about that. So equity and inclusion are non-negotiable in our workplaces today. The success of any business really depends largely on them realizing and acknowledging that they have work to do in these areas and then committing to do the challenging work of creating equitable and inclusive systems and processes for all. Why do you believe this is important in the healthcare industry? And where have you been able to make progress? Oh, that's a really uh, great question. Um, because this is definitely one of one of my passions and values. Um, for me, uh, having had the opportunity to to hear different stories and experiences that I may not have had, um, allowed me to again get more curious, ask more questions. And really go deeper into some of our some of our group um, are having different experiences based on age, race, gender, all of the things we know, um, and that requires more energy to address them. So, looking at what we can do to um, kind of work more upstream to have a what I would call psychologically safe and better work environment, understanding that people are having different experiences and some of them are definitely more negative. Um, but the reality, uh, I, I do live with the idea that in general, 
8% of people wake up trying to do the right thing every day. But we really have to look at our policies and procedures and, 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 and rules and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And this is really in, in the general institution of medicine, um, but it does apply really with all organizations and things. So I spend a lot more time now, even even in, in the political space of laws and things of looking how they're going to impact um, so that we can be prepared. I'm not uh, a huge fan of recruiting into an environment that isn't healthy. So I spend a lot of my time right now in making the environment a better space um, and I'll stay focused with physicians um, because then we will recruit um, more diverse physicians and groups into a, 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 a healthier environment and super proud of the group I'm with because we, we do make this commitment, um, but we're working really against the institution of medicine and, and what that looks like. So going back to what I can do, what I can control is really looking at policies, things like that, but also um, personal development around boundary setting, feeling okay, saying yes and no to things. Um, and and that has been at least a small impact I can make. Um, but the bigger part is we have to go deeper into to, to the policies and rules and regs. And because we do know that a diverse group, we're gonna have better outcomes and no place more than healthcare do we want to have innovation, better outcomes, um, helping our more uh, marginalized groups, the health disparity that exists? Um, so I stay mainly inward focused to the team because we have a lot of work in EID outward, um, but need to make sure that the the physicians and the clinicians and the healthcare teams are feeling that same psychological safety and support that mm-hmm. we expect them to provide for our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I love that. That's another one that feeds into the next question because this is, you know, it's broader than that. I mean, I know that we were talking about mm-hmm. equity and inclusion, but we're we're talking about um, leadership, right? Yeah. And so, yep. you know, if we look back at your story, and you did a wonderful job of kind of sharing your journey to now, right? Um, what are some of the important lessons that you learned along the way about what it takes to be a good leader? And then what good leadership is? Oh, that's a really, that's a very deep question. <laughs> <laughs> as deep as so, we could go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, what I had to learn, uh, I, I did have to learn to be a little bit more patient and pace myself. Um, I'm grateful I was given the opportunity, had some tremendous mentors Um, But I'm also someone when I walk in and see that something's wrong or there's a big elephant in the room, I'm like, we just got to deal with the elephant. And that's not how that's not how individuals always work. And that's really not how groups or organizations always work. Um, You know, I can go deep into why that's part of my wiring. And uh, but that would be a whole nother podcast. Uh, But (laughs) I've I've had to learn. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I've had to learn that, um, you know, everyone probably and most likely, I do believe, wants to do the right thing and have good intent and all of that, but it's not always easy. And so I would have paced myself a little. I'm much more when I coach or work with other physician leaders, particularly women in medicine, um, I'm a little bit more realist with them uh, because 
they see exactly what needs to change, but then there's a lot of um, parts that go along with that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I also have no regrets around speaking my mind, um, even if it's uncomfortable, um, but there may be consequences to that. So mm -hmm. those are the kind of messaging and um, I, I would hope for the future leaders of medicine, just like the face-to-face -face clinicians, frontline docs, that they have more of a sustainability track of leadership nice. because I see too many people overgive in leadership, burn out, and then leave leadership and, and go, they go back to being a physician, very grateful. But we really do need physicians in leadership because that's what will impact our patients the most if mm -hmm. we're at the table yeah. um, and bringing, you know, the social issues that need to come. Um, so I'm much more uh, likely to tell someone to kind of pace themselves. Mm -hmm. Is this really the right time for this? And be more strategic around it. Um, but I had to learn those things the hard way for me. Uh, and just grateful that I had some mentors who, um, when I reached out, realized if Pam's asking for help, then we must, we might need to look at something because that's mm. not the norm. So. Yeah. I love that. Love that. So what advice do you have for those who are considering working in healthcare and making it their career? Those at the beginning of their career and advice for those maybe who are even mid-career. Oh, wow. This definitely speaks to kind of truly my my heart and my passion because um, I definitely have some regrets how I did things and would have made different choices. And so that drives me to want to, again, make it better for those that follow. The On the big scheme of things, the, the pandemic inspired a lot of people to go into medicine and nursing. Mm -hmm. And and I think we'll see that in, in, in physicians mm -hmm. as well. And that's beautiful, right? Yes. The challenge is, I think, the mid-career or early mid are the ones that might be trying to imagine how to keep engaged in this. Mm -hmm. So for those coming in new, um, I, I think ed the education that we're putting more into medicine is going to help. We're going to mm -hmm. do more of things around self-care, boundary setting, all of those. Um, and I will expect that because we have to break through some of it. Um, so having them pace themselves and really talking about your, the way you practice now, is it sustainable? I have a lot of those conversations because yeah. we come in younger, maybe less responsibilities, you know, establishing mm -hmm. our career. And then six years later, we have kids, every, everything can change. Um, for the mid-career, um, I, I do think we need to focus a little bit on working through kind of some of our past and really figuring out what it looks like to recharge and self-compassion mm -hmm. yes. and really coming together. And some of it is talking about some of the things we experienced and, I, and we're seeing a lot more of that. So I, I am optimistic, but the bigger part, and this will be my passion, is we need to change rules, regulations, policies, uh, and things so that it, it makes it easier for, for leaders to do the right thing mm -hmm. and, and for the future of, um, of medicine and healthcare workers to feel that they are safe and protected and all of those things. That, that, that to me will be um, kind of the, the perfect recipe. Yeah, I love that. It's the recognition that the individual has to change, but so does the leader mm -hmm. yes. um, mm -hmm. to make that happen and create that and also at the policy level. The system, so yeah. the whole system. Yeah, yeah love that. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dive into our hope questions. Yeah, and 
<laughs> these we ask all of our of our guests um, during this period of time now where we're doing this research around hope. And so where do you see signs of hope in the world today? So um, I sit in a lot of spaces and I do believe this came out in one of your previous podcasts kind of about mental health and well-being. And I hear a lot about, you know, the, the, the next generations and all of that um, having three kids, 24, 22, and 20, um, they they are hope. That generation is hope. Mm. And sometimes my love when one of my kids will be like, mom, why are you doing that? Like, mm. they're going to be more boundary than we are. And they're going to expect more um, value-driven work. And so they look at us, they laugh sometimes and probably not laugh all the time about how we've done things um but they they're gonna they're gonna change the world and i've heard some very well-renowned um historians or generational experts and um that is the timing in terms of repeating itself so Mm -hmm. they give me hope at times they drive me crazy and i'm worried that they'll never move out or all those things (laughs) that everyone else worries about um but they give me hope yeah i love that so how do you sustain hope for yourself? <laughs> so it's funny, and I'm pretty sure if you talk to some of my close colleagues, I have hope every other day. So oh, catch me, okay. Catch me on a good day. percent of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, when I don't have hope, I promised my, my groups that if I give up hope, like completely, where I'm like, I have no hope, then they should be worried because I'm a super optimistic person. Um, but... Uh, I do have to manage like a little bit more of kind of the negative energy. I'm not a big toxic positivity person. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to lose a little bit of hope at times or, and regroup. Um, But in general, for me, I think if I'm taking a little bit better care of myself, that keeps some of the hope Mm -hmm. and just finding some fun things like squirrels running across the driveway bring me hope. I mean, I filled a whole bird feeder just for the squirrels, and everyone's like, "Those squirrels are horrible." I'm like, "No, they bring me hope and joy." So, <laughs> look for the that. small things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, the daily things. Yep. So, how do you engage and inspire others to be hopeful? It's interesting because I've just been—we've been back kind of doing some workshops. Um, uh, more face-to-face time and, and interactions. And I think it's just being honest. I think it's being honest um, and and a, a little bit more vulnerable um, mm-hmm. and trying to put things into perspective a little bit because this is where I feel old because I can now tell stories about, well, 15 years ago <laughs> we went through this, right? Um, and there's a lot who can't imagine, and we're all living very fear-based, very scarcity, which I struggle with because um, it, it's not a very effective um, leadership model. And, and the good part about us in medicine and as physicians in training, um, we we can be very fear-based and we hide it really well, but we often have to be pretty calm under pressure because of normally we're dealing with often life and death situations and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm just spending a lot more time trying to have people find, you know, 
the one thing that's good or what we can look forward to and ask questions like, how long can you do this? Because our training was you change things every year, every couple months. So doing a little bit, a lot, mm-hmm. like let's get through the next month, let's get through the next three months and then let's start really strategizing. Um, the bigger part for right now is I need people to do what they need to do for some self-care and that's really hard. I can sit and say it now because my kids are older, but when they're juggling everything, kind of wish I could go help them so they could go do something Mm -hmm. for themselves. So um, that's, I think, the balance we deal with right now every day. But Mm -hmm. I do have hope and clarity. And maybe that will help them just knowing I have hope for right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Holding holding the hope for others. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Totally. Yeah. So with that in mind, if you could come up with one word that represents hope for you. What would that word be and why? I'm, I'm going to say community. I think deep down, we're really all supposed to be together. I don't think we're always as kind to each other as we need mm-hmm. to be. And some of the challenges doing a lot of this work came from the people you would least expect to be the most challenging. Um, but, you know, we always kind of come back together. So community gives me hope in many different spaces. Mm. love that yeah I do too (laughs) it's like wow you know I was thinking of we had we had someone last year who was really focusing on community and I don't think I thought of it in terms of hope but when you just said that it was like wow it is absolutely true you know being together and communing with each other you know whatever it's just there's so much to be said for not being alone, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. That's yeah, powerful. there's so much work around lo- loneliness and, and mm-hmm. studies around that. And I'll share one quick story. I was um, picking up my daughter, getting her back home from college and met uh, a, a couple and we were sitting and obviously had different um, views on things. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm very cautious now. <laughs> you never know kind of what you're going to go into. Yeah, right. But by the end, we came to this really commonality. I mean, he had been very, very sick with COVID. Mm-hmm. He is very grateful. Um, and the conversation started very different than what I would have expected. And so we had a little community there, a little, yeah. we formed a group, had discussions and probably had very different views on most things, mm-hmm. but came together around, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky that we've, we're through this and there's been some horrible outcomes as we talked about. Mm-hmm. And those things bring really do bring me hope and joy because I don't like the um, being so divisive. It's just not, I, 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 I'm a chameleon most times. I can blend in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, we've, we're all here for really the same purpose. It just might look different. Yeah, and we're here for a certain period of time, right? And who knows what that is. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. We are so grateful. We are coming to the end of this today. We're really grateful that you spent time with us today. This has felt so good to me. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about community. It's been great having this this conversation. And, you know, it's, it's really, really clear that, you know, you have a lot of passion for advancing the lives of people who are in the medical profession. And it's equally clear that you have a real commitment to not going, not letting that go unnoticed. And I think that's so important. And I I truly appreciate the insights that I'm, that are pinging within me right now as we're sitting here. I'm 
processing all the stuff I've been hearing. And I, I'm just truly grateful. Thank you for this day. It was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad our paths crossed and Mm. absolutely such a pleasure to be here. And they will again and again and again. Okay. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. That was delightful. Inspiring. Yes. Inspiring. And I was thinking what I knew her as a person, but not as a leader. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what a great example of that Brene Brown quote, who you are is how you lead. That Uh, is, that's who she is, right? What a fantastic model and leader. I loved what she talked about. I love the, it was, it had red threads going through it, you know, the whole time it was really her life, but, but what she's learned along the way and how that's benefiting other people is just, to me, that's inspiring, very inspiring. I loved, I love talking with her and I can't wait until the next time we do it again. You know, (laughs) I really think that, well, there'll be other topics, but I would love to um, either have her back on the podcast or we're flying down to California (laughs) and we're going to go have coffee with this woman. She's wonderful. Um, So let's keep that conversation going. Okay. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. We have so many exceptional podcast episodes coming up, more with fantastic guests like Pam. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram and tag us at lifting underscore leaders. If you'd like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leader coaching, please contact us through our website at www.liftingleaderspodcast.com. Thank you, as always, to Ari Chance Roberts, our technical advisor, for his support of our show. And finally, please subscribe to our podcast. It's free. Crystal, thank you so much. This was a great day. Thank you, Trisha. Thanks for, for bringing Pam to us. Oh, we, we brought her to <laughs> us. So thanks to our listeners. We absolutely appreciate you. Find ways every day to lift each other up. Have a fantastic week. You too. Bye.